Welcome to The Spoken Nerd, the podcast about database technology. I'm your host, Connor McDonald, and in this session, I keep on chatting with Maria Colgan. In this session, we tackle perhaps one thing that none of us will ever encounter, what is a meeting like with Larry Ellison? But we'll also dive into the tech. We'll talk JSON, we'll talk 23C features, and finish off with a little chat about Maria's beloved Tesla. Please enjoy. In terms of working in the office, podcast listeners will be tear shreds off me if I don't ask this question. What are meetings with Larry Ellison like? <laughs> I guess it depends on who you are. I should point out too that I am normally just a fly in the wall in these meetings. I am not a, a star of these events, but he's incredible. What fascinates me about meeting with Larry is just how engaged and how on top of the latest technology he is. People often say to me, oh, I'm sure he isn't really engaged or he's not really involved in the business. Oh my gosh, that couldn't be further from the truth. He's incredibly engaged, incredibly smart and incredibly quick. So if he asks you a question, be make sure you know the answer. No BS here because he will sniff it out in a heartbeat and make sure to call you on it. So yeah, you want to know your stuff. And so most of us who attend tend to be very quiet. <laughs> it's probably the quietest anybody you'll ever see me in a meeting is in one of those. Only speak when you are asked to, and then make sure it's factually correct. I won't say I've not had that luxury or opportunity. I'm, I'm pretty happy to be here in Perth. That's a pretty minimum safe distance. I think that works out pretty well. Obviously, we were all Oracle was based in Redwood Shores and the office is still there. And there's this talk of, have we moved to office Austin now officially or is it on in ongoing or? I think on paper we're tech, yeah, headquartered out of Austin, yeah. If they were to shut down the Oracle headquarters in Redwood entirely, would you move to Austin or would you stay here and stay in San Francisco and work remotely or what? how would that affect you, do you think? Oh, gosh, I think we'd stay. I don't think my husband and I are Texas kind of people. I think we would, we'd probably stay here in California and, and be fully remote. That said, I definitely would miss the human interaction and stuff. But yeah, I, I don't think I'm quite ready for Texas. Yeah, I think we'd stay put. Would you move if, we, if you were offered to go to Texas? Well, it's funny. I went to Texas for K-Scope in mid-2022, just gone by. It was my first travel after COVID, so it was very exciting. And I have to admit, I went for a walk after my first talk just to clear the head. I'm sitting there going, ah, it's, uh, it's about 110 degrees in your language. I'm going, it's pretty dry, pretty warm. It's like, which as a Perth boy doesn't really bother me, but I was thinking, yeah, the nearest beach is 7,000 kilometers away. That could be a problem for me. <laughs> that could be a large problem. I get upset here because the beach is a 10-minute drive and I'm furious that whole 10 minutes because as a child, I was brought up living on the coast. The, to have the indignity of driving for 10 minutes to the coastline is just, you know, I'm just fuming. So, yeah, so Texas might be a challenge. Although there was a, we were in Grapevine, there was a lovely lake there. Anyway, I, I need to get back onto the tech. The move from, this, this is going to be a very lame segue, but I'll do my best. The move of Oracle from Redwood, uh, Shores, San Fran to Austin is a, a recent development that's coming along. Speaking of recent developments, let's move on to 23C. Very lame segue. I'm curious, we, we've had a number of features touted out there around Cloud World and, and um, other events. What I find strange is we do something like you no longer have to do from Jewel for a select mm -hmm. and people lose <laughs> their mind. They're talking about this is the one reason why I will upgrade to 23C. 
how do you explain that kind of mindset? Oh God, if I wish I could. Uh, That's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm assuming it's the kind of, oh, there was a bunch of those, right? There were some sessions, Gerald did one. I think you might've also done one, Connor, where it was no one big feature, no one big, you know, I'm trying to change your world, but lots of small enhancements to just make your life a tiny bit easier. And they got way more airtime and joy from customers than some of the bigger, what we thought would be the bigger features of it. And I think it's the whole death by a thousand paper cuts that it's a continuous annoyance. It's not, it's not going to kill you. It's not even going to change much in your world, but it's just annoying enough that, and you do it often enough that it brings great joy when they say that that's going away. Yeah. I find it strange because I sometimes try to lurk on Reddit and other social media things for other databases to see what they're doing. Also, I think it's just good to know the language and syntax of other databases. And it's funny how you'll see people on Postgres forums going, yeah, I could never use Oracle because you have to type in from Jewel. And I'm like, that's an interesting decision point. I, I could almost understand if they said, oh, we, we live and die on the Boolean data type, which we'll have shortly anyway. I, I could almost understand that. Even that is like, I'm going, hey, just use a one and a zero. Like how hard can it be? But it's not that hard. Yeah. But in fact, it, it is funny. The I had an interesting experience when I gave the the hint of from Jewel at Kscope and people stood up, people stood up and clapped. And then three weeks later, I went to India for the Yatra tour. And I was like, I thought, oh, I know, I know what I'm going to tell them because this is going to blow the room. And I said, no more from Jewel. And then at the end, I said, do we have any Q&A? And a guy still put his hand up and he says, why does Oracle waste time on this nonsense like removing from Jewel? Give us some decent stuff. For <laughs> and so I thought I got put in my place very rapidly. But it's funny that that different mindset, some people, it's the greatest thing ever. And other people were just like, why did you waste your time, your development cycles on this? So. I suppose you can, you can never please everyone all the time. Although internally, it was funny. We did talk about that. We had six or seven of them on a slide and people were picking what they thought was the best one. And a lot of people picked no more from Jewel. And a lot of the senior management were like, why, why would anybody care about that? So you can see why it wasn't implemented necessarily sooner, just because there is at least half the audience who doesn't think it's that big a deal and that some of the other capabilities like the Boolean, as you said, were, would be much more important. So yeah, it is kind of interesting. But as I said, death by a thousand paper cuts at some point is just super annoying. Those nine extra characters. And coming back to my postcard comment, I suppose the reality is, is sometimes features are good social media clout. They're basically these tiny things, often are the things that win over people who are fresh to databases. But I suppose the, the real big banner item is the relational JSON duality and, and the view. I've been tinkering with that and I have to admit it just uh, blows my mind. Where do you think the biggest value will be from that feature? I think it's going to be new app dev. So as new applications are coming out, simplifying and accelerating the creation of those applications, kind of getting out of the relational versus document war mindset and all of that, it just it kind of removes all of that negotiation at the beginning of a project and allows folks to get kind of the best of both worlds. So I think from that perspective, we'll see the upswing in that much more with new application development than necessarily somebody who's running an app for a long time on Oracle and upgrades to 23C. I don't see them necessarily immediately embracing that, but anybody who's building new apps and has those different types of requirements for the data set. There's a lot of power in it to get all the benefits of relational 
but remove all of the necessity for the developers to understand that schema and do all the mapping and all that fun stuff to get a much easier way for them to interact with the database. I think you'll really see, I hope, a big in upswing in new apps and the accelerating of the development of those apps. I admit, I, I agree. I, I also think we could have some opportunities there in terms of modernization of apps where it used to be the case that if you've got, say, a Forms app, and we'd say, okay, yep, you're going to have to predominantly probably rewrite that in something as cool as Apex or the like. But I know that there have been third-party vendors out there for a while who have been saying, we can expose parts of your Oracle Forms implementation as, say, a web service. But I view this as an opportunity in the other direction where we could say, in the past, if you wanted to have a form embedded in a web, it was quite difficult to do. And if you wanted to then have some JavaScript interacting with it, we had some hooks, some available, you know, some tools to do that. And there's some pretty cool stuff in the latest versions of Forms. But still, it was very much adding to an existing piece of tech that was never really designed to have those kind of hooks put into it. Whereas something like if you could, say, have a JavaScript developer building something, you know, they just deal with the JSON and then they simply send it into the, into the tables that Forms works on, then you can leave your Forms alone and then build on it with, you know, not just something like Apex, you can build on with something like something in Node that runs in JavaScript, et cetera. So I like that concept of a lot of companies out there, based on the Ask Tom questions we get, a lot of companies out there are still running Forms. They're still running Form 6, God help us. But yeah, the ability to say, okay, look, rather than throw it all out and go again, leave it all there. You know, there'll be that group of people that you know, will be happy with running Forms for the rest of their life. But extend it, let people push their JSON in and they'll be good to go. Now, speaking of JSON, I have a philosophical question on JSON for you. Maybe this is one for beta, but I'll drag you into the mix as well. We went from CSV to XML because XML was far more right. descriptive. And then people said, oh, okay, well, this XML has almost got too complicated now. You've got schemas and, and style sheets and all this kind of stuff. And then JSON became flavor du jour, flavor of the day. And now we start seeing we have our own thing, the, the JSON data guide, which you know, gives a bit of meaning. There is talk of now schema descriptions for JSON. And even in our JSON relational duality views, we effectively describe the format of the JSON that we're expecting to see, which is obviously necessary if you're going to map it to relational. Is JSON just heading down the same path as XML in basically getting more and more layers of complexity? And eventually someone's going to go, you know, I've got this idea for a new data exchange format, you know, which is much, much simpler. And we'll go, oh, this seems very familiar. Will JSON make the same, I won't say mistake, but will it walk the same path as XML and therefore it'll just become the next in the latest line of disappearing data exchange formats? I, I won't say, never say never, because you, you don't know what's coming. It doesn't seem to have gone down quite aggressively down the same road as XML did at the same pace, let's put it that way. So I think right now, I don't see a future like that for it. I think it actually is going to stick around for quite some time. I think it is going to, inevitably, the more things people do with it, the more complicated it, it does become, right? The more use cases it goes through. But so far, the bare bones of it or the, the inner concept of it has stayed simple enough and straightforward enough that I think it'll stick around for some time. But Evolution is is inevitable, right? So at some point, things will eventually change. And as you said, some wise ass is going to say, ah, I can make this much simpler. <laughs> That's right. There's always tomorrow's new feature. In fact, we'll, we'll come to that later on, actually. I've got a few things to talk about that. Unrelated terms in terms of advancement technology, we released a blockchain technology in later versions of 19C, originally planned for 21, but we backported it due to popularity. Now, a lot of that 
was part of a, a global wave of excitement in blockchain-style tech because crypto was going nuts. Everyone was talking about blockchain and, and Web3, etc. Crypto obviously is no longer going nuts. It's going in a totally different place. My $500 dabbling in a random selection of cryptocurrencies, all of which I knew none about, is now worth, I think, $7. So don't ever come to me for investment advice. But I think <laughs> the maximum I was prepared is like gambling at Vegas. That's the maximum I'm prepared to lose because I know I'm going to lose it. With crypto on a downward spiral and a lot of people going, oh, you know, blockchain maybe isn't the solution to all of the world's ills that we thought it was. Do you see a future for blockchain technologies in databases? If you look at the what we did with 19C and 21C when we introduced, we took some of the core concept, but not the full distributed ledger scenario. And honestly, the fact that you need a whole new development environment and employment environment to do the whole distributed ledger, it's far too complicated for most people. Most blockchain projects seem to die on the vine if you go down that, you know, purest route that it must be a fully distributed ledger and I need all of these parties to agree on something before it can be inserted into the chain and so on. I don't see a huge f future in that. It's a bit like a lot of these fads that have come and gone. I'm going to burn a few bridges now with talking about big data. I think data lakes, yes, the big data thing where I must access it all through code, not, a, not the right way to go about it. So I think like that, blockchain has kind of done its dash in being the next new great thing. But I think the core concepts of that, immutable tables, data signatures and things like that, being able to sign the data to really know it came from a, an authentic source and so on. I think there's a huge benefit across industries for that. And to be able to know that this data, this chain of data is accurate and being able to validate that there's still a lot of use cases in across multiple industries that could benefit from that. But the whole distributed ledger, yeah, I, I don't think it's got much hope. I have to admit, I'm not a blockchain fanboy yet, but I'm a huge fan of immutable tables yeah. because one of the things that often comes in, Ask Tom forums, et cetera, is those clients saying, I just want the normal security that Oracle has, plus I need to make sure my DBAs can't fiddle with the data. It's one of those awkward things. So I always think that, the moment you're worrying about your senior admins fiddling with the data, then you've actually got a personnel and culture problem at your company because ultimately you're really saying, I, I don't trust anyone. Now, conversely, sometimes it's they do have the trust in those people, but they need to be able to prove that trust to external auditors. So in that scenario, I'm totally cool with it. But for those people that phone up and they just go, I just don't trust Joe over in the admin area. I think you've got much bigger problems to, to sort about. But in terms of that, I like the immutable table concept because in the past we generally say, yep, we've got Audit Vault and Data Vault for that. And that's fantastic, which is true, but they are enormous products. They're enormous with huge amounts of features and functionality, super cool. But because they are huge products, A, we charge you for them, but also B, there's this facility of saying, well, we're going to use that 1% of that piece of technology to lock down DBA controls and the other 99% you're not going to use is there for you. That's why I love immutable tables because it literally solves that one simple thing. You're not allowed to fiddle with existing data. We don't care who you are, even if you're SysDBA. So I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think they'll be extremely popular. I think so too. Now, I mentioned that Data Vault and Audit Vault, et cetera, and there are lots of other options we have in the Oracle database that we on charge for them. Here's a question for you. Which additional option 
on Enterprise Edition should be license-free. Rather than say should, I'll say if you had to pick one, if you were saying, okay, by executive fiat, I'm going to pick one of our options and it's going to become included in Enterprise Edition, which one would you choose and tell me why? So I'll give you a bit of history on this. I have always been anti-options to the point where I have been multiple times or multiple times in meetings accused of being a European socialist because <laughs> uh, I want to give away the farm for free. But to me, Diagon Tuning Pack is still a bitter pill to swallow that was became a priced option from my own part, just because we work so hard to make it easier to diagnose and to optimize your application and your SQL. And then to stick a charge on that always kind of got me. But honestly, it'd be hard to pick out of all the others. I'd like them all to be free. <laughs> but like I said, don't bet your business strategy on me. Apparently, I'm a European socialist who wants to give away everything for free. So uh, it'd be hard to pick between all the others because I see great value in, in memory and partitioning and even some of the security stuff just with the, the world we live in. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Maria will be going storming into Larry Ellison's office next week, telling him that all the options will be free. Yeah, you heard it here first. Oh, that's how I interpreted it anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> And what was that, your little acronym about that's a, a, the career, career limiting? limiting move, yeah. I was about to add, and we've got a spare bedroom here for you, Maria, for, yeah, like, <laughs> it's like for when you get shipped out of San Francisco. For me, funnily enough, I would go for partitioning. And this is not to begrudge any of the other options, which are all super cool. But almost, I would say almost the most of the other options can be, what's the word, substituted by a homegrown solution. Never as good, but you can get close. So, and, and these are some of our, our, our own offerings. You know, we do stats pack instead of diag and tuning pack. So you don't get active session history, but you sort of get poor man's active session history and you get poor man's AWR reports, et cetera. Probably, I think partitioning is the one, even though we still support partitioning views, I think partitioning is the one thing that I can't think of a single customer that doesn't need it because the, the days of 10 gig databases has pretty much evaporated. You could make an argument that flash disk has perhaps pushed that need off, off into the future, but still, I, I, even the fact that our internal dictionary is now partitioned, I think reveals that every database now pretty much needs a partitioning. So that, that would be the one I would put in, but obviously, yeah, as I said, we don't, especially me, we don't walk at the levels that, that make these decisions. We mentioned JSON being a bit like XML and, and the constant evolution of, of things. We've got a, a statement here from your LinkedIn. My personal mission is to help companies attain the flexibility and resilience they need, especially in today's ever-changing world, by helping them make better use of this incredible technology. I assume you're referring to Oracle. <laughs> of course. In terms of ever-changing, why do you think we have this thing of what I call the, the language slash framework per day uh, culture. If, if I go to Hacker News or Twitter or, or Reddit or GitHub anywhere, it's never, hey, I've built this new thing on top of Oracle or new thing on top of Postgres or, or even not forgetting databases, I've, I've built this set of C libraries. That's sort of almost yesterday's news. Nowadays, it's always, I don't like C, I've built this new language. I don't like Postgres, I've built this new database. I don't like whatever. Everyone's always building a new framework or a new language. It's funny how you said we want to help people in the ever-changing world. Is ever-changing our own fault as IT practitioners? Have we got stuck in this quagmire of if something isn't 100% fit, I'm going to build my own? 
I think it's true of humans in general. I don't think it's just even limited to folks in IT, but certainly the ever-changing in IT is completely our fault. We're all lo looking for the bright, new, shiny thing, slightly faster, slightly lighter weight, whatever it may be. But I think oftentimes if we get too obsessed with that, just as you can in the real world, of chasing that better, there's something better constantly, you end up complicating your life or complicating your data architecture and all of that. And so one of the things I try and help customers with is let's help do the best possible thing for your business, but not necessarily follow every trend or amazing, bright, shiny thing that comes into it. So, and you see though, right, even at Oracle, we adopt the bright, shiny things that have longevity. So you mentioned it yourself with XML and JSON. We've been supporting XML for decades inside of the database, JSON more recently, because it did become simpler and easier to use and, and a more efficient way to communicate, you know, so we will adopt it eventually, but yeah. Uh, you mentioned bright, shiny things. I'm going to segue briefly because I had, this is a, a, an appropriate time to do so. You're a Tesla owner. I am. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that as I, I'm not spitting it into the microphone. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not accusing you of anything. Although yeah, you do see those funny things of people now like burning their Teslas and, and saying they'll never own a Tesla, et cetera. I'm putting all that political discussion aside. No, I mentioned Teslas because my first ever time in a Tesla was in your Tesla when I was in the US. It is an interesting discussion in terms of the people who are saying, I don't want Teslas anymore because of Elon Musk versus Tesla, the bright, shiny car. Do you think that leaders of big corporations have a role to play in whether customers adopt their technology? And you can see I'm going to be swinging this back to Oracle shortly. <laughs> so I didn't buy for Elon. So just my own personal That's experience, a... I quite liked the idea that I could have a very, very fast car that might be slightly better to the planet and leave it, you know, at least in no worse shape than where we are now. Honestly, that was why I bought it. It really had nothing to do with him. I'm more aware of him now that he's got Twitter and all that drama yeah. that does make me a little bit mortified to have any business dealings with an organization <laughs> he's involved with, but that's neither here nor there. Because at the end of the day, I think you need to make the decision based on the tech. And at the time I got the car, because mine is now eight and a half years old or whatever, that was hands down by far the best battery range, the best performance and the most comfort in terms of a car that you could get on the electric market. It was very, very comfortable. It was very fast. It had a great range. And so I fundamentally made the decision based on tech. And I think if we extend this out a little further, which might be where you're going with that, I would make all my other technology choices based on tech and not necessarily who's running the company. I agree. I agree. And it's it's funny, I always I always struggle because I have some friends that work with Facebook and they're great friends. And yet I walk that fine line of I'm sitting here crapping on Facebook, the company. And yet these people are doing their life's best work. They're yeah, IT people. It's it's a tough road to walk because I'm not a fan of Facebook, even though I, I'm on it as a necessary evil. But by the same token, I then can't get on my high horse and if people want to shout out against whatever Larry Ellison chooses to do or what Elon Musk chooses to do. I suppose we have to accept those two things. There's, there's two sides to every story. It does make you wonder, though, if you should work for somebody who doesn't share too much of their personal views. Stepping down from the CEO role in an organization down to the coalface where a lot of the work gets done. In the next episode, I'll talk to Maria about DevOps, 
the developer and DBA relationship and how she sees it'll go in the future. We'll also talk about the latest and greatest thing that's coming out of IT, namely AI and ChatGPT, and also the fact that Maria and I share a common love of presenting. We'll talk about how that's impacted our careers. Hopefully you can join us then. Thanks for listening to this podcast. The music credit goes to Zanman from Pixabay Music.